Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Susan Little. And Dr. Yala Kirpenstein. Amazingly, Dr. Susan Little got the cue and started right in time. You start so you started this one so fast. Like it's never good. So I was gonna ask you a question, just like another episode that we recorded, uh-huh. where just as I was asking a question you just started the podcast so i think that's your way now just like not answering my questions just start a podcast it might be it might be (laughs) it might be so um dr susan this podcast is kind of an extension of our previous so this is the per podcast um uh previous podcast that we were talking about cat news and normally when we talk about hot cat news we have like six articles and we're supposed to talk about these articles in about 30 minutes uh, but you you know us we took way too long with the first article and so you know babble through the first 30 minutes and so now we have to do another one but we have some really cool news and we would like to start off with a cat with a really really long tip oh yes the record-breaking cat yes so So what where is this news coming from (laughs) Okay, so again, those of you are her, are on um, our Patreon and can see the video for this, we'll see the headline. And the headline said, Cat with record-breaking family has the world's longest tail at over 16 inches. So, Dr. Yellow, what breed do you think that cat is? This is freaking world news, by the way. You know, I'm so happy that I know this now. The world is falling apart, and we are worried about a cat with the longest tail. But anyway, I think it looks like a Maine Coon. It is. It is a Maine Coon. Longest tail at over 16 inches. Yeah. How do we know that it's the longest tail? So it's a. It's like it. the Guinness Book of Records has records for kind of insane things, honestly. So apparently, the, the Guinness Book of Records does maintain a category for the long, cat with the longest tail. Right. And this family of cats, of these Maine Coons, have broken other records um, as well. So I think um, the, the cat that uh, broke the record may have been related to the last record holder for the longest um, tail. And other members of this cat family have made um, other records, um, like the tallest cat, you know, like the biggest cat. So members of this Maine Coon family hold those records um, as well. Right. Right. So, I mean, who, who would have known? Right. And again, if you're on, uh, if you're able to uh, view our video, you can see some like an adorable picture. Um, of this kitty with his extraordinarily long tail, right? right? So who knew now? 
So this is like, this is interesting, right? It's kind of a fun thing to read. And um, I have a question. Yola very quickly guessed it was Maine Coons, but I think there could be a dark side to this. Yeah, so I had that. I had a question for you because of this, okay. with the same thought. Yeah, you know, what is the benefit for the cat to have yeah. an extremely long tail like this? Yeah, well, of course, none. Right, the cat ah. doesn't really care if his tail is fourteen inches or sixteen inches. Right. What's the normal length of a cat's tail, Doctor Susan? I have no idea. Oh, that's very helpful. I have no idea. Average length of a cat's tail. We'll have to look that one up. That's a look that one up. Um, but I do think there's a dark side to this. And we we mentioned um, a bit of this uh, about Maine Coons in um, the first part of this episode. Um, and it's not so much the tail one, but um, some of the other records, uh, again, that that members of this cat family have held. One is for like the tallest cat, the biggest cat. Maine Coons are naturally a pretty big breed, but if breeders are trying to make each generation like bigger or taller than the last, that's where we're gonna run into problems, right? And we already mentioned in the first episode that this breed is predisposed to hip dysplasia. Right. And by the way, the average length of a tail is 12 inches. There you go. You so looked that just, up, didn't you? No, I know that. <laughs> um, but I wanted to give you the chance to shine. And obviously, you missed that chance, which is too bad. I just missed the chance. <laughs> All right. So, but this is a very interesting article. And I, I feel so enlightened right now. At least, you know, everybody knows now that the average length of a cat's And I would, I would, you know, um, encourage people to go and measure it in the next cat that you get to see if it's really 12. There's probably a variation between probably. cats. You also have cats without a tail. Yes, that's a whole other story. That's a whole different story. They used to be quite popular. Um, yeah, so you're talking about the Manx cats, right. the tailless cats, and um, yeah, there's a downside to that too. With with everything, but I mean, we talked about the most popular cats in the last uh, yes. uh, talk that we had, but we this, you know, once problems. again, if you miss, it's a genetic def defect, so the mm -hmm. genetic defect often comes with a lot of other stuff, baggage. Exactly. And in the mix, there is many other things that can go wrong. So it, I I don't know why people always want to mm. look for, yeah, want to have these, these cats that are so different. Yeah. And the tail has a really important function too in cats. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So what they, what, because in dogs, we know they whack their tail, they, you know, it's part of their socializing, but cats do that too in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Cats use their tail for communication. Um, it's not. I the think we had a really good episode with Debbie Horwitz that was talking about that. Yeah, and uh, I I don't think uh, um, it's like that. The 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 cat with the longest tail, um, right? So I don't necessarily think that there's any issue from that cat having a long tail. 
So I think it's more having um, a very short tail um, or no tail that is difficult for cats. Um, and again, it's because, it, as you say, um, it comes with uh, it comes with baggage. Right. All right, let's go back in time. Back in time? Back in time to the saber tooth. Oh, we want to talk about the saber tooth. Okay. So, um, yeah. See how I bridge these things so beautifully? <laughs> you're so good. That's because okay. I'm a natural. <laughs> so, again, if you're on our Patreon, you can see the video of this. Um, and uh, so, this is an article. Uh, on a website that's talking about saber-toothed cats, right? So it's uh, uh, it's really interesting when uh, extinct animals, when they find bones or sometimes even like tissue left, some of the fur coat, how they can reconstruct what the animal might've looked like. And so there's a really neat uh, picture of what a saber-toothed cat might have looked like and i don't know um y yola you've been you've been on safari right like i have yes yes yeah. yes yes and if, like if this cat the picture that we can see before us um if this cat like wandered past when you were on safari in africa it would just fit right in wouldn't it it doesn't look yeah it looks like kind of a, a lioness but then with leopard yeah, False. exactly. That's a good description. But I think this cat is a little bigger, too. Yes. Yeah. So the size probably will be a little different. You were like, yeah. whoa, that's a big cat. That's true. Yep. And so uh, this article was wondering what sounds did a saber-toothed cat make? Um, and in particular, could they do things like purring? Because purring in cats has been fascinating for a long time, right? Like, how do they do it? That's that's always been um, uh, a big question. You know, researchers have tried to figure out how do cats purr? Like, they're the only species that purrs. So right. how do they do it? And a lot of it has to do with the hyoid bone. So those are the bones that support your, your larynx, right? Which is what we use and what a lot of animals use to make sounds. Right. Right. And yeah, we use so, those focal cords. Yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah. And so the article is just talking about the differences in the hyoid um, bones. And if when they reconstruct skeletons, especially of cats, obviously, is there any way that they could guess what type of sounds that cats like um, this would would make? And so they point out that. um there's a variable number of hyoid bones. So people only have one. Um, your average domestic cat has nine, right? So the kitty who's in your house today probably has nine. Um, big cats that roar, so like lions, tigers, they have seven, right? So there's some evidence based on like current species of cats that uh, might help answer the question now, so what they've discovered is saber-toothed cats have only seven hyoid bones. So that suggests that they would have been able to roar, but they still don't know if they could purr, right? And 
Interesting. Okay, let me ask a question now because um, lions can purr. Well, the article says there's only five species of cats, like wild cats that can purr. It says the only species that purr are cougars, cheetahs, caracals, which are a small wild cat, servals, another small wild cat, and ocelots. Oh, I thought lions purr too. Yeah, I know. And it says there's four species of roaring cat, lion, tiger, leopard, and jaguar, as you might guess. So, so yeah, I thought that lions could purr too, but, you know, there you go. So there's some really interesting diagrams um, on this web page. So if you're not um, following us on um, video for this episode, um, I will put the links to these websites in our show notes so you can like follow up and look at these. But they, um, I really like the diagrams. They have some nice explanations, um, the differences in hyoid bones and how that affects the type of sounds that an animal can make. And I just looked it up, but lions cannot hear. There you go. That is, and you know, every time, and this is BBC Wildlife Magazine, um, and uh, they say that uh, that it, uh, they can do it. Yeah. So I guess that agrees with this web page that says there's only five types of cats that that purr. There's really six because the domestic cat purrs. But um, I think this article is just in the context of the um, exotic cats. And do you know which one of the big cats is the exception? Which big cat? Big purr? cats normally cannot purr. Well, like, so cheetahs purr. Is that what you mean? No, the snow leopard. Oh, what does the snow leopard do? It can purr. Really? Right. So it must not but roar. But it cannot roar. Oh, wait, right. wait, wait. Maybe I say the, oh, wait. No, I say something wrong. <laughs> oh, sorry, it says the snow leopards cannot roar. Huh? So it purrs, I guess. No, it doesn't purr. Sorry. That was what my does mistake. It do then? I guess it just makes little noises. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So there you go. Big cats don't purr, it says. Cool. But this is the BBC. You know, who knows? But the, they say four big cats that can roar, lion, tiger, leopard, and jaguar, all of which belong to the genus Panthera. Okay. And um, why can cheetahs not roar? Uh, and it's the same thing. So um, it enables the, you know, their higher structure enables them to purr, but not to roar. Um, and then there's, you know, one big exception, and that's a snow leopard who cannot roar. Okay. But I don't know. It doesn't say if it can purr. So we that's one thing that we will never know. So we learn every every day. Yeah. You would guess oh. if they if they don't roar, they probably purr because they, they seem to be two separate things. You either roar or you or you purr. That's exactly it. Yeah. There you go. And I like I so there you go. I never knew that. And I did I always thought lions could purr. Right. And it just look like they should be able to purr. I just want to say, yeah. Really? Yeah. So, um, so the, the the I think we have time for one more thing, and okay. uh, that is let's talk about taste in cats. 
Oh, can we can we fit in two things? Okay, if it fits. <laughs> okay, let's talk about taste first, because then, like, I want to talk about something else. Right. So, um, so this news article was interesting to us because it says a new study reveals why cats love tuna. Why do cats love tuna? And um, it's interesting to me because if you think of it kind of rationally, why would cats love tuna, right? It makes no sense. Tuna are like deep sea fish and they're huge, right? It's not like cats are like chartering boats and going out there and getting tuna. So, right. so um, in a, in an evolutionary sense, they wouldn't need, they wouldn't need to like tuna, like their, their taste senses. And like cats don't taste sweet things because they don't need to, right? Sweet is sweet things are just not in the repertoire of foods that they need to eat. Right. So it's a bit, it's been a bit of an exception that it's pretty universal. I mean, not like every cat loves tuna, but it's a good bet. And as a matter of fact, we've talked about this before when Dr. Leslie Lyons, who I think is the world's leading genetics expert in cats, right. um, uh, when I went with her on a trip to Egypt where she needed to take little cheek swab samples from cats to do some genetic testing, and we had to find and catch the cats. And the most reliable thing to lure a cat near to us was tuna. So he spent the whole time walking around with like these little pouches of tuna. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, 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 and just interrupting you here, I don't think tuna is a very common feature in the middle of Egypt. Oh, do you, but you can, no, it isn't. So, I, and and to be honest with you, I have not eaten tuna since. There's something about walking around for a week smelling of tuna. Um, you know, but it was very effective. So again, like it makes you wonder, right? Why do cats have uh, an affiliation for tuna, tuna? And now we have the answer. Yeah. So this is um, a study in a journal called Chemical Senses, which I just love. So there's a whole world of scientific um, exploration in uh, in taste buds and um, what tastes are uh, uh, do, do do certain uh, species, even the human species, like, or what do they dislike? It's a whole field of science. Like, it's just really amazing. Um, so uh, this article was published in this journal called Chemical Senses, um, and it highlights the fact that cats um, have to eat meat. They are carnivores, and they have to be carnivores. Like, there's no way around it. So you right. would expect their taste buds would be kind of fine-tuned to a taste of meat, right? That would make sense. And it turns out that there is, you know, when we think of, um, what do you think of, Yola, when I when we say um, your your sense of taste? Like, what do you what do you think are the different ones that we recognize? Sweet, sour, sour. 
Yeah. Salt. Yeah. Uh, hot. No, I don't know. Oh, you mean like uh, spicy? Yeah. Yeah. So there is a um, a taste that a lot of people, including me, didn't know about, and it's called umami. U M A M I. Right. And it is for a. I don't know. Bitter is not the right word. I'm. I don't know how to describe umami, but it's what it. It's the sense of taste that makes cats love meat, and it turns out that it's also the sense of taste that makes cats love tuna. Right. There you go. Right. So it's right. kind of a side effect of them being meat eaters. Right. It's one of those kind of little unintended. Um, consequences, if you will, right? Because the umami taste um, is common to the meat and the tuna. And there is a genetic explanation for this too. And I found yes. two genes. Yes, there is. Perfect. And um, for uh, those of you who want to look at the um, actual scientific article in chemical senses, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you can see that I've put it up on the screen here um, now, if you're watching us on video, and um, I will also put it in the uh, show notes. Um, so you can right. uh, follow up and look at this. If you want to deep dive into. Yeah. Okay. So do we have time to talk like just quickly about one more thing? Very quickly. Because it's about Nova Scotia. <gasps> right. Which is of course, where we need to talk about Nova Scotia. What yeah. else do we talk yeah. about? Yeah. Okay. So it's just a news article that caught my eye. And so the headline says exotic cat captured after being spotted roaming the streets of Halifax. So apparently people were catching glimpses of this exotic looking cat. And uh, again, if you're, if you're uh, on video with us, you'll see that the uh, article actually has a video um, of this cat. So uh, it was finally captured. So the de Department of Natural Resources captured um, this cat. And um, uh, the issue is that it's not legal to own any exotic species of cats in Nova Scotia. So it's kind of an illegal cat. Um, it's beautiful. like So you can look up pictures of servals, um, including the ones that are on this web page. So we decided it's a serval? That's a serval. Right. And they're really striking looking, aren't they? Like they're beautiful. Very, yeah, they kind of remind me of a gymnast and that they look like there's not like an extra ounce of fat on them. They're very slim and they're tall. Um, uh, and their patterns, their coat color patterns are just amazing. So, right. yeah. So it turns out to be a serval. I don't think they know who it belonged to. I don't think the owner said, hi, it's me, because you get fined immediately. But we do have to realize that these animals are wild animals and are not supposed to be in captivity. Yes. And, and exactly. I know in the U.S. there's lots of people that have these wild animals because I guess the laws are a little looser here. But uh, it's it's a fun and joke until they become yeah. adults and then they start attacking people. Um, and, or getting and, loose. Or... Right. And a cat like this can do quite a lot of damage. 
Yeah, and there's it's also not it's also really difficult to provide an environment for a wild species to live in that right. is appropriate so that they're not suffering every day because they're you know they're in a cage or whatever. Um, and there are several ex small exotic cat breeds like the serval that people use to create new cat breeds. So they breed them with right. a domestic cat, right? That's how the Bengal was created, not from the right. serval, but from a different wild cat. So it could be that somebody um, bought this cat because they were going to breed it to a domestic cat, or maybe they just wanted to have a serval, right? I don't know. So, but it it um, it got loose, and right. um, yeah, the article says they're not claimed. The issue of how this cat came to be roaming is still under investigations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they said, sorry, um, because it was Canada. Uh, the, uh, the, there are some cute pictures of the circle interacting with a real cat. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. uh, so I think the real cat came out of that interaction unscathed, which is nice. But, yeah, uh, but it might. It might not have been. And right. the, the article points out that servals are actually known to be good escape artists. Um, and I believe it because they look very like agile and flexible and strong. So it's kind of no surprise to me. And the article does say that the domestic cat that the serval had a face off with was not harmed. And his name is Sammy. So Sammy. Yeah. Sammy, so Sammy is doing is well. Shaken up, but doing Shaken well. Up. How do you know if a cat is shaken up, Dr. Susan? By his behavior. Yeah. So he's truly shaking? <laughs> well, he might have been. I might have been too if I right. suddenly come across. Yeah, you, you just meet a giant. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the circle makes me think of kind of a cross between uh, something smaller and, and one of those uh, things that you see in the savannah running really fast. Like a cheetah, you mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. They're they're native to um, grasslands in Africa. Right. They have really long legs. They they yeah. They're the beautiful animals. Beautiful animals. But they are beautiful. And they and should be on the savanna and exactly. not in exactly. because imagine that that poor cat in the winter. Well, yeah, and and in their natural habitat, they would roam over a large. Um, uh territory and so how do you but what then what do you do you well, canada's pretty big you know like do you put them in a cage i do don't know do it's crazy yeah. it's crazy yeah we should not uh, promote any exotics yeah. of being in the hands of people that have no clue what they're doing with them exactly anyway. and but sadly it's one of the breeds that does whether it's through like legal or illegal means it's right. one of the breeds that's so striking that they do get purchased by people um, and they do end up in uh, in people's homes. But as you say, Yola, some people end up being very surprised at right. the downside. You know, like they're all excited when they get this young serval or whatever. The they're very cute when they're young, but anything is cute when they're young. I yeah. think a Tyrannus Rex probably is cute when it's young. <laughs> But when I, I grow up, in my house, but <laughs> I don't know how big they are when they come out of the air. Probably not that big. <laughs> yeah, but my guess is they grow really quickly. <laughs> so, right. 
Right. Yeah. It's it, it, because, you know, there's a lot of shows in, in the US too. And most of the time they say, you know, when they're adolescent, these cats behave like adolescent cats. So yeah. they will not attack you or do anything with you. It might be a little rough, but that sort of things. But then when they become adults, then their, you know, sixth sense starts working and say, hey, I need to kill. And then suddenly all the, the problems start. And I think that when I grew up, we were kind of indoctrinated by circus shows and that sort of things that wow. they do all sorts of stupid tricks with cats, right, right, right. like we can handle them. But in in real, these cats are locked up in small cages and and having horrible welfare conditions and also kill people yeah. when they can. Very you know, true. it's not that if they get the chance, they will kill you because that's what they're ingrained to do. Yeah, they're unpredictable. Um, it's a tourism issue too. And I know um, many tour groups and some uh, vet associations around the world have uh, 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 position statements, let's say, that recommend that tourists don't engage in activities that involve animals. Um, and that really made me, like this whole issue really made me open my eyes. So years and years ago, probably one of my first trips to South Africa, um, I was taken to a, like a reserve, they always call them reserves, which, you know, makes them sound right. like they're these giant things, where you can go and see like the young of different species. Right. And they give you the opportunity to like cuddle a lion cub and have your picture taken. Mm. So I did that because I didn't know any better. Um, but since that time, um, yeah, I'm completely off. Are you saying the lion cub is still recovering? Yeah, I think the lion cub <laughs> is probably way bigger than me now. Right. How long ago was it? Because they don't get that old. But, you know, um I agree with you. So, uh, yeah, so those things I tend not to do. Yeah, yeah there's but, a downside uh, to them. Like you might think, well, like what could go wrong with me cuddling a lion cub for five right. minutes? But that lion cub is probably cuddled by how many people in a day, right? And right. Like, where does he live? And anyway, yeah, so it's really opened my eyes. And now I don't do um, any uh, tourism that involves activities that involve animals. And um, Yola and I were recently on uh, earlier this year on a trip in Egypt. And our the tour company that we went with has a policy that they um, they do not include events that um, use animals. So right, so we did not sit on the camel. Yeah, not sit on the camel. The, like, the essential picture of us in front of the pyramids on a camel did not happen, which we were both very happy with, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and again, so this. It's a perfect ending of yeah. uh, this podcast, Dr. Susan. It is. Uh, we're almost at time, so thank, thank you, you very for, much. We got we got my Nova Scotia story in. So right. So everything happens in Nova Scotia. Something. It's beautiful there. Yes. On a holiday, and you can see a circle. So this is the Per Podcast. Uh, you can have more information per podcast.net uh, or at Per Podcast in social media. We also have a Patreon account that you can be become a member on. And you get all sorts of fun behind the scenes stuff. Um, yes. And you get to see video. Right. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Dr. Susan. And see you next time. Bye for now. 
Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at Cat Pet Susan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast.